All right, let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the uh, opportunity to, to gather tonight as, as believers. We thank you that, uh, uh, that this, is, this is all of you, that it is, uh, that is, uh, it is your work, uh, each of us that are here. You have, uh, you have brought us here according to your uh, sovereign good pleasure. You have saved us. You have made us new. Uh, we thank you for this this body that uh, you have planted here. Uh, thank you for this time and opportunity to look into your word. Pray that uh, you would uh, challenge us uh, through it. Pray that uh, you would just uh, give uh, clarity as I as I walk through it. And pray that it would all be to your glory. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 11 and going to uh, verse 22. This is uh, one section, kind of one thought that he has. And just by way of a little bit of uh, introduction before we read, read through this text is uh, Paul's really picking up on what he dealt with in the previous section uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And in that section, uh, I, I don't know, I taught on that, but I don't, I don't remember when. I don't know if I did it for Sunday school or at evening service. I, I can't remember when I did it. But anyways, when we walk through that, um, he deals with a couple of topics. He, he begins in chapter 2 with talking about our deadness and sin, which is our, our natural state. And then he talks about how we've been made alive in, in Christ, which is our regenerate state. And then he talks about... Uh, that we are made alive for works, which is our continuing state. So he goes, he walks through all those those things, and in the beginning of this section, he's he's re, he's um, calling for us to look back on those things and remember those things. So that's why I wanted to start there. So in the first part of chapter two, Paul is dealing with really with our with our vertical problem, and that is our problem with God, our deadness and our trespasses and sin, the fact that we have no spiritual life, the fact that the wrath of God is abiding upon us. So Paul talks about how that has been dealt with in Christ. And in this next section, he's going to be dealing with the the horizontal problem, the problem between, uh, specifically between Jews and Gentiles. He's going to be dealing with that problem in the next section here. When God deals, when Paul deals with this this topic in the in the first part of Ephesians chapter two, he is he's dealing with the problem again of our of our spiritual deadness uh, that we have no spiritual life that we have to have God work uh, within us to create that life so that we might have uh, salvation in Christ. It is a work of grace, and in that passage, you see that it's of Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone, and um, the Word of God alone. It's, you know, it's, all, it's all right in that section that he deals with all of those different topics. And through that section, we can see also that uh, we, can, we can love God because he first loved us. So we are able, because of the work that has been done, because of God's work, because we are in Christ, we have a capacity that we didn't previously have to actually love God because he first loved us. 
So in, in that's, in that sense, he's dealing with the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And in this next section where he's dealing with the horizontal, he's dealing with uh, the capacity to love your neighbor as yourself, which is a capacity that, again, wasn't there until we were um, in Christ, until the grace of God came and brought faith and saved us and made us new. The, the issue that is going to be dealt with in this next section is there's an issue between the, the Jews and the Gentiles. And we see this quite a bit as we, we read through the, the New Testament that Paul deals with those different issues of how the Jews and the Gentiles are going to interact. But Paul's going to deal with the, the base problem of the Jews being near to God because of how God has dealt with them and the Gentiles being far off. And that's a, that's a, a a theme that you see throughout this this next section is the the far off and the near. And we could, you know, we could probably belabor the point of the the animosity between Jews and, and Gentiles, but I just wanted to look at a few a few quick second sections just for for background. And one of them is can turn to Acts chapter 10. And I just wanted to look there and and really just pick up a few sections just to kind of get some of the uh just a little bit of background, a couple little snippets of the animosity that you see between, between the Jews and the Gentiles. And as we go through this, this text, Paul is going to develop why some of that animosity exists and how it's, been, how it's been dealt with. And that's why I think if you looked at the title of the message, it's Christ is our peace, and that is reconciliation and unity. That's, that's the work that he has done between the Jews and the Gentiles. So in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 23, uh, and this is when uh, Peter, this is after Peter receives uh, a vision and he goes to Cornelius, and Cornelius is a, is a Gentile. And it says, um, in, again, Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 23, and so he invited them, in and gave them lodging, and on the next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. When it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man." And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. And I just, I just picked this passage because this, this is, a, this is a, a, the account in the book of Acts of the first Gentile being saved, but... Also, you see in Peter's response when he's in there, you see part of the, the, the conflict that there was. Peter says that it's not even lawful for me to come in and associate with you. So there's that, there's that tension that you see there um, between the two people groups. And then down in... Uh, uh, verse 34, and opening his mouth, Peter said, I most assuredly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him 
and does what is right is welcome to him. So Peter comes to this realization that salvation is come unto the Gentiles as well. Uh, he had that vision. He didn't quite understand the vision at the time. He obeyed and went to the home of Cornelius. And then he sees that God is at work as well. And later on, he reports this back to uh, in Jerusalem. And this is in chapter 11, verse 17, when he reports back. Uh, chapter 11, verse 17. And if God therefore gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in his way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So we see here that the beginning of the, the breaking down of that, that animosity. They're starting to understand that the salvation, salvation is opened up to the Gentiles. They see God at work. They see what God has done. And Paul dealt with this in, in establishing various different churches. And so that's what we're going to be looking at is, is how Paul dealt with this, this particular issue. So back in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, there, there was actually one other section I, I was thinking of when thinking about just the, one of the distinctions between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul brings this up in Romans chapter 9. And in Romans chapter 9, he's talking about uh, Israel. And he says this of Israel. He says, uh, to whom belong the adoption as sons, the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is Christ according to the flesh, who is over, overall God blessed forever. Amen. So he's, he's reflecting on all the blessings that Israel have that the Gentiles did not have. And that's, what, that's what's going to happen here. So in Romans chapter 9, he's looking at it from the side of Israel. In Ephesians chapter 2 here, he's going to be looking at it from the, the Gentile perspective. All right, so starting in uh, verse 11, I'll read down to the, to the end here. Therefore, remember that formerly, formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you are, who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances that in himself he might make, known, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by, by it having put to death the enmity. Then he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. 
having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole body being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So first Paul begins with the the position of the, the Gentiles, and he calls, like I said, he calls calls the, the Gentile readers to, to remember what they were formerly. Uh, and he, he uses, you know, in the previous chapter, he kind of opens it up. He's talking to the previous section of this chapter. He opens it up and he's talking to uh, everybody. And in this section, he narrows it down so that he's specifically speaking to the Gentiles. So he's, he's calling for the Gentile readers, those that are in Ephesus, um, to remember... Uh, what they formerly were, and we probably went through some of this last time. The the uh, Ephesians, uh, Ephesus had the the Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Um, it was a big part of what they did there, a big part of their their worship at this temple. Uh, they were very pagan in their their background. They were uh, very much into to sorcery and those type of things. And we read about, um, in the book of Acts, we read about how when they became believers that they actually took and brought all their books of sorcery and all those things and they burned them all. And um, I actually have it in my notes. I can't remember how many days wages it was, but it was a significant amount, uh, 50,000 pieces of silver. So it was a pretty significant amount of, of money and they're not exactly sure how to translate that into today's money, but it's it would be somewhere in the millions because it's uh, 50,000 days wages. So big pile of books on sorcery and stuff. And that's that's their background, uh, fully, fully pagan into sorcery, into magic and all those type of things, uh, into worshiping of, of Artemis. And he reminds them further of what their position was as as Gentiles. Um, as Gentiles, they did not have all the all the blessings that the Jews had, and we see that uh, in the beginning here, Paul says, um, "But uh, you Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by those so-called circumcision, which is in uh, which is performed." in the flesh by human hands. So he starts off kind of talking about some of the, the, the animosity there. I, I am backing up a little bit. I was going to go a little bit further, but I'm backing up to that, that part just so you can follow me. Um, he, he talks about this, this animosity and, and those, um, those terms you can see throughout the scripture that at times those are kind of a pejorative. They're like digs towards one another, like calling them the uncircumcision or calling them the circumcised it was kind of digs that they had toward one another. And uh, there's, there's certainly sections where you can see within the scripture, scriptures that it's, it's an insult, right? It's, uh, I can think of David. David calls Goliath the uncircumcised Philistine, right? It's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a dig, and, and you see that all throughout the scriptures. And an interesting thing that, that Paul does here is he, he notes that the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, they're Gentiles in the flesh, but he also notes that the circumcised, the Jews, this was an act that was performed by human hands. So this is something that was done by man. 
So he's saying that this is also in the flesh. So I, I think Paul's picking up on, on a truth that he deals with also in Romans, that it's not all Jews that are actually Jews, but those that are circumcised in the heart. So this outward, this outward symbol they had that they relied upon was actually done by human hands, and it did not secure their place with God. And as we go through the text, we see that's why it's the same message was preached to those who were near and those who were far off, because they both were in need of Christ. So the same, the same message of reconciliation to both. Those that are far off, the, the Gentiles, and those that are near, the Jews, because they were relying on this, this circumcision, which was, which was done in the flesh. It was done by human hands. And that, that terminology is used elsewhere. It's used in Acts where it talks about God is not, he does not dwell in temples made by human hands. And it's also used in Hebrews where it says that uh, Christ did not enter a temple made by human hands. So it, it's, you know, it's referring to, to things that are not, not, not spiritual. They're, they're physical. It's things done by man, not things done by God. So now I'm to where I was planning on being. So he, he goes through um, the different disadvantages that the Gentiles had uh, as opposed to the blessings that the Jews had in their position because God had chosen them, called them out. The first one he, he notes here is, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. So they were without Christ. They had uh, no understanding of who the Messiah was they did not have the the direct teaching that the Jews had they had no hope of this messiah they were alienated from that teaching uh, it, in a whole i mean we we know of uh people in the old testament uh even you can see in the the book of acts there was god fearers there were uh gentiles that were proselytes to judaism but for for the most part these these Gentiles, uh, you know, us included in this group, Gentiles, right? We did not have all those blessings. Uh, we, they were without Christ. Uh, they had no care for Christ. They did not know who he was. Um, they were not like Simeon looking for the consolation of Israel, right? He, he knew what he was looking for. He knew who he was waiting for. And the Gentiles did not have that. Uh, next, Paul says that they were without uh, Community. They were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. They had no citizenship within Israel. Uh, they had no. They had no community. They did not have the the heritage of having a, a theocracy. Right early on, when God ruled the people, it was a theocracy. He was their king. Uh, they had no uh, history of God condescending to dwell with his people in the tabernacle or the temple. So they were excluded from all that. The Gentiles were excluded from that. Uh, so they had no citizenship uh, among Israel, so they, had, they were without that community. Uh, the next one he has is they were without promise. Uh, he says that they were strangers to the covenants of promise. And I think the, the way that Paul words this, this covenants, I think he's just, it's a general terminology that you're supposed to, you know, be thinking of all the different covenants that were specifically given to Israel. We, you know, the Abrahamic covenant that got passed on to his, his, uh, his children, to the other patriarchs. Uh, there's the Davidic covenant, um, the Mosaic covenant, 
the, the new covenant. At, at the time that these were all given, the Gentiles were excluded from these. So they did not have these, these promises uh, given to them directly by God in the same way that, that Israel did. So they were without these promises. And specifically, as we get further down, you'll see that uh, the the mosaic co- the mosaic covenant comes to into view a little bit more than some of the others, because it's really within the the mosaic covenant that we see that this this middle wall of separation occurs. Uh, next, he says that they were uh, without hope. It says they have no hope, and that's kind of a logical progression when you follow through all the other things that he has said, if they, they don't have Christ, they don't have any community, they don't have any promises, so it, they have no hope. There's no hope of, of getting out of the situation they're in. There's no hope of relationship with um, the living God. They remain dead in sin. They remain slaves to sin uh, under condemnation. And they are outsiders and strangers and foreigners. And again, they are not those that are looking for, uh, again, like Simeon says, the the consolation of Israel, the one that they were looking to come uh, to make things right. And the last one he says here is that they were without God. They are without God in the world. And that... um, the, the, the Greek there is a, a word that we're familiar with in the, the English. It's atheist or atheos, literally without God. They, these uh, polytheistic Gentiles, they have a whole panoply of different gods, but they are without God because all the gods that they worship were not the true God. So though they had many gods, they did not have God because the gods that they have were not gods. So this is the the position, the former position of these Gentiles that he is talking to that have been saved. They are without without Christ, without community, without promises, without hope, without God. And the and the beautiful thing that, that happens here, which happens so often in, in Scripture, is we are in the place where we have uh, been exposed to and reminded of our utter misery our utter hopelessness, and then God hits us with the next thing of how he has dealt with the problem. So we have here how he has dealt with the problem, and it is because, um, again, because he has lavished his grace upon us. And so Paul is going to develop now our, our reconciliation and as we walk through the uh, we walk through this this text, you'll see how this 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 concept of reconciliation gets developed, and I tried to summarize it and kind of uh, nail down a definition of of how reconciliation how the term is used in this passage, and so trying to incorporate it into a, a short sentence, I have this: reconciliation is the gracious act of God. Who is the offended party and toward whom we are hostile to eradicate the enmity between us by removing our sin and establishing a new relationship characterized by true peace and unity, which he himself preserves. So as we go through the, the text, that's what God has done um, for us. That is the work that he has done in dealing with this 
in the first part of Ephesians chapter 2, he deals with that vertical. He deals with our relationship with him, and now he's dealing with the horizontal, our relationship uh, within humanity. And he's done this through eliminating, uh, by his uh, kindness, through his work, eliminating the hostility and the enmity uh, between the the Jews and the Gentiles. And again, it's the, the beauty of, of God's work in reconciliation is he's the offended party. He's the one that's been wronged, and he does everything necessary to make it right, which isn't how reconciliation works in a, in a human level at all. It usually involves like compromise or, or whatever it may be. No, God just deals with it, and it's done, and it's dealt with perfectly, and all the all the things that uh, cause the problem are utterly, completely removed and gone. So there is actually real peace. And we'll get into that, that concept of peace a little bit further down. So the, the first thing we see here, uh, starting in, uh, in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, who are, you who are formerly far off have been brought near by his blood. So he has brought us near. This is part of that, that work of reconciliation. He has brought us near. So the, the far-off Gentiles have been brought near, and, and how did he do this? He did this by his blood, right? He did this through his work on the cross. Uh, through his work on the cross, we have been brought near. Again, it's this idea that, that Paul uses so much in the book of Ephesians, this idea of being in Christ, our unity with Christ, our identification with Christ, all the spiritual blessings that we have from God are in Christ. Uh, he says that back in chapter 1, verse 3. That says, uh, says this, um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So all the spiritual blessings we have are all in Christ. It's all through the work that Christ has done. And this is among those spiritual blessings, that, that tension, that animosity, that hostility, between the, the Gentiles and the Jews, he has eradicated, and he's done this because he has brought us near. Um, he elaborates on this a little bit further in verse uh, 14, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of dividing wall. So how did he do this? He did this, uh, again, it was through his blood, but he did this by uh, making both groups one. And both groups are made one by removing uh, the barrier that was between them. And specifically, what is, what is this barrier that he's talking about? There's a lot of, uh, a lot of commentators uh, think that this is probably the, the barrier that's it's the wall that would be um, just outside the, the, I guess, on the inside of where the court, the court of the Gentiles was. The Gentiles could go into a certain area, but then there was a wall, and they could not, they could not pass that wall. And uh, there's a there's a section in the book of Acts where that actually comes up. They accuse Paul of bringing Greeks into the temple, so they're accusing Paul of bringing Greeks past that that wall, so uh, Gentiles past that wall. And I think this is certainly what what Paul is is alluding to this this wall that they you know they would potentially be familiar with but he goes on to elaborate what this wall actually is a little bit uh 
a little bit more. This wall is broken down, and how did he break it down? It says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is in the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Uh, so it was the, the law of commandments that was this barrier between uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and going back to how he started, he said that the, the Gentiles did not have the, the covenants. And among those is the, the Mosaic covenant. And if you read through the, the laws, and I, I was specifically thinking of Leviticus when I, read, when, I was, when I was thinking through this, is like you read through Leviticus and you can come to the conclusion easily that God is utterly and totally holy and that if you are a Gentile, you are totally, utterly unclean. You know, when you read through just all the all the, the rules and the regulations and the things that had to happen and the cleanings and the ceremonies and all of those things, uh, Gentiles are just unclean. And these rules were put in place by God, and we know that the law is good, the law is righteous, it is holy. The law was a picture of what would happen in Christ. Uh, you know, Jesus says he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And so we know all those things. So it, the, the animosity that came about wasn't because God put the law there. The animosity came about of how they dealt with the law, right? Because if you read through like, you know, Deuteronomy and Numbers and any of those things, God gives all kinds of directions for how the Jews were supposed to deal with foreigners. They were supposed to show love towards foreigners. They were supposed to, uh, you know, help them. They were supposed to do good to them. You know, there's all kinds of rules of how they were supposed to deal with them. But within the, within the law, all these ceremonies and all those things, uh, there's, there's lots of places where the Gentiles are excluded from those. And those tended to be the ones that, that you have a focus on so that when you get up into the book of Acts, you even have Peter saying, I can't even, I can't even come to your house. I'm not even supposed to be here. Or you have them, you know, almost starting a riot because they think Paul brought a Greek into the temple. Um, so it's, it's these, these particular aspects of the law that is that dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, the Gentiles did not have access. They did not have a way to God like the, like the Jews did, right? They had the high priest. They had different uh, sacrifices. They had all of those things. They had access and it was access that the, the Gentiles did not have because they did not have those laws and those rules. And there was, there was uh, proselytes. Uh, there was Gentiles that became uh, Jews. But even in those circumstances, there was a lot of things that they weren't allowed to do. They had uh, limited access to things. Uh, they, you know, they could, I was reading today, they could partake in the Passover. But if you were going to, if you were a Gentile and you're going to, partaking the Passover, you, you had to go get circumcised first, and then they, they'd let you do it. So, you know, they were still barred from a lot of things and a lot of access. And so it's this wall, this is the, this is the wall that he is talking about, the, the law of commandments and ordinances. And it's, it's kind of hard to make a distinction sometimes when you talk through those things between the ceremonial law or civil law or moral law, and that's, that's, Kind of why I was saying that you know Jesus came to fulfill the law, he, he fulfilled it. He didn't uh, he didn't destroy it. 
Uh, Paul says that the law is holy and righteous and good, and we know all of those things. But this portion of the law, this the ceremony, the things that they did, uh, this was this dividing wall between them. And you can see this was a struggle in the early church, right? It's uh, it's As we're going through Galatians, you can see some of that struggle, the struggle with how to deal with how they were dealing with the law and how the law... Um, how you're supposed to deal with Gentiles in the law and in Acts, they dealt with it as well. How do you deal with the Gentiles in the law? But here we read that God made these two groups one and he did it by breaking down this dividing wall and abolishing, uh, which basically the the word abolishing means to to make void, uh, to make useless, to nullify. Uh, which was uh, the enmity between them. And this opened things up so that these two could be one. Uh, In verse 15, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. So he has established peace between the two because in this process of reconciliation, God has... Uh, secured true peace. He has removed that which was the the problem. He has removed the the hostility, the animosity. Uh, He has transformed people from spiritual death to spiritual life. And then he has abolished this dividing wall between them so that there is one new body. And he says that in verse 16, so that he might reconcile them both into one new body. Um, just as a side note, it's we're not uh, it's a it's a new body, right? We're not being added to Israel. It's so we're not we're not a continuation of Israel. Israel, we're not being added to Israel. It's a new body by quality. It's a body made up of both Jews and Gentiles that are redeemed. Uh, and then he says, uh, thus establishing uh, peace. And the, the, the idea of peace here, I was thinking through the idea of peace, and the idea of, of peace from a biblical perspective is, is, again, quite different from the perspective that we might have as, as humans. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a ceasefire. It's not a, it's not a compromise. It's not... Um, swiping things under the rug or an agreement to just disagree. It's removal of the actual problem. And because of that, it is real, true peace. There is no more friction. There is no more animosity. The thing that was the problem is gone. So the problem is completely eradicated in Christ. And Paul says this pretty pretty vividly in uh, Colossians chapter 2. Uh, verses verse 13 and 14, and I have it here, so I'll just read it. It says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having forgiven all your transgressions, having, con- uh, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting in a de- decrees against you, which was hostile to you, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
So the, the ordinances that were against us, uh, the, those things that were within the law, they're, they're gone. They're done away with. They're no longer a list of things that's against us. They have been nailed to the cross, right? They, they're, they're dead. So that true peace can be established. Uh, jumping back to verse 14, uh, we see that, that in this whole process, Christ is our peace. It is Christ himself who is this peace. He is the one that has broken down this wall. He is the one that has abolished uh, in his flesh those things. Uh, it is he that gave his life to remove the, the middle wall, the barrier. It is he that gave his life so that these ordinances, these laws that were against us would be removed. And so Paul says he is our peace. He himself is peace. Um, he is the one that has done it. He has established peace. And again, it was through his blood. Uh, next, Paul talks about how um, he has brought us together. And this is verse 16. And he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. Uh, verse 17, and he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. So again, this, this, the idea that it's, it is God that has brought um, both the Jews and the Gentiles together, they were, they were separated there was this wall between them, and it has been removed uh, by the work of Christ. And in this, this work, uh, he has made, again, one new body. And in verse 17, it says that he preached peace. He preached a message of peace to those who were far off and those who were near. Uh, Paul's alluding to two passages from Isaiah there. Um, I think they're, they're probably both familiar uh, one of them in Isaiah is Isaiah, Isaiah 52, uh, verse 7. It says, How lovely on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. And then the other one is uh, Isaiah 57, 19, where he says, uh, Creating the praise of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far off, and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Uh, in the context, when you read those in the context, it's the, the far off and the near. It's talking about uh, Israel, but the near Israel is the Israel that isn't in dispersion, and they're the ones that are following, and the far off are not because they're in dispersion. And Paul is, is using that here to talk about the Gentiles are the ones that are far off. They're dispersed about. They do not have all the blessings that the Jews have. And the Jews are ones that are near, but it's the same message of salvation. He preaches peace to those far off and to those near. Because he says in verse 18, it says, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So access to God, access to the Father is through Christ alone. And this, this reminds me of, of, of at the, the resurrection that the veil is ripped, that, that signification of 
it's not the curtain, the curtains ripped. So you have access, that access is opened up and it is opened up in Christ. So both Jews and Gentile, their access to God is through Christ. Um, It's no longer through a system of uh, the priests that the Jews had previously, that the Gentiles were outsiders to. Uh, Access is through Christ in one spirit uh, to the Father. And so you see that it's a, it's a triune work, right? It's, it's uh, through Christ uh, in one spirit to the Father. So it's a work of the, the triune God in establishing access. So this again, this process of reconciliation that God has brought about, He has done all that is necessary to remove that which is hostile so that we could have peace with him, so that we could have forgiveness. So in verse 19, uh, that's where he starts talking about our, our unification. So now there's a unification. We just were looking at how he is reconciled, and now we look at how he has unified. Uh, this is all, again, a work of the triune God. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fetter, fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So this is God's work in establishing uh, the church. And as, as you get further on in uh, Ephesians, uh, Paul deals with the church quite a bit in the book of Ephesians. But, and Paul also talks about the church is, is, a, is a mystery, and a mystery is that which previously wasn't revealed. And he is talking about how this mystery has unfolded here, how these two groups that had animosity, how do they come together? And they come together in Christ through the work of the cross. And so God has brought all together uh, in unity in the church, in one body. And, and we see the description here. He gives uh, quite, a, quite an illustration of, of what he is doing, of what he is building. And it is a work that God is, uh, he is working on it. He is growing. He is putting it together. And we see this starting in uh, verse 20. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So the foundation for what he is building this group that he has brought together, this group that he has reconciled, this group in which he has made peace, uh, the foundation we see is the the apostles and prophets, and it's not altogether certain who the prophets are, but I, I believe this to be the the New Testament prophets. We read about them and some of those in the in the Book of Acts. So I believe it to be those prophets because it makes sense if it's the apostles and the prophets. Not you know not going backwards to the Old Testament prophets, but the, those in the New Testament. So these are the the foundation of it, the the teaching that comes from them. And he says that Christ is the cornerstone, and the cornerstone is the the stone on which you basically align the whole the whole structure. So it's all aligned on Christ. He is the the cornerstone of this uh, edifice that God is constructing. Uh, God is the one that has fitted it all together. It is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Uh, it is what he is building it, and it is what he is uh, 
um, constructing for a place uh, for him to to dwell. So this is God's work in in building His church. And as I was thinking through this this passage, um, this this particular animosity that we see, I was trying to trying to think through how how we see this in our in our world today. We can certainly see the animosity as we we look in the scriptures. It's, there's all kinds of passages where we can see where the Jews and the Gentiles don't particularly get along, and there's that friction. Uh, but now, now, what does that look like at this point in time? How does that look in our world? And I, and I really, I really couldn't come up with any way of how this particularly looks in our world today. And I think it's because you know you can you can read in the, the New Testament how this problem came up and how they dealt with it. And at the time, uh, based on you know the teaching and the information that they had, that particular animosity and friction. Um, uh, it, it it went away because they followed uh, the teaching that they had. That they understood that 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 division was gone. So we have New Testament churches that had Jews and Gentiles in them that that functioned because they had an understanding that this is what God has done. This is what God has done as a work in bringing these two groups together. And so as I was thinking through this, the Really, what I what I was trying to figure out is what's our direct application to to what is what is going on in this passage because we don't necessarily see that that animosity uh, because it's because it's been done away with and we're so far removed from when it actually happened that it, it we just don't don't see it at least at least not that not that I'm aware of that there's that that friction still. Um. But as I was thinking through it, I was thinking through that all this work that that he describes here, uh, first beginning in the first part of chapter chapter two, the work that God has done to make us spiritually alive, and then as he continues on, the work that he has done to break down that middle wall, all of this work was for the purpose of establishing his church of bringing about that unity, that unity between these two um, two groups that were at war. Um, and interestingly enough, it, you think through these two groups of the Jews and the Gentiles, it's, it's really the only true uh, division line that's in mankind, right? It's, that's how it's been since the... I don't know, shortly after Abraham, the, the dividing line was the difference between Jews and Gentiles. So it's the only real um, distinct division among mankind is Jews and Gentiles. It's, you know, there's certainly, there's certainly no real, real concept of, of racial division within the scripture. You know, that's not a, a scriptural terminology anyways. But all of all that has been done here that he is describing was all for the purpose of unifying and building the church and putting together the church to comprise of those saved by grace through faith of the nations and among the Jews to, to bring them together into one body. And he calls it one new body, so it's new in, in its quality of what it is. And this was all for that particular purpose. And I was, I was, I was thinking about, too, the, the, 
one of the main reasons I, I kind of back, you know, one of the main reasons I picked this book to go through is um, as I read through it once, I realized how much time Paul spends with the dealing with the importance of the church and what the church actually is and how the church functions. And you see it in this passage, how much the work on the cross was for the purpose of establishing the church, uh, you know, saving individuals and, and adding them into a, to a body. And then, you know, thinking through other things that Jesus says, right? Jesus says that he will build his church. Uh, we see here that it is God who is building the church. He is causing it to grow. And as we as we think through this, I think that uh, certainly we should be immensely thankful people realizing the 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 amount of work that God has done on our behalf, uh, the grace that He has lavished upon us, His His mercy, His kindness, His goodness toward us. But also, I think that we should um, grow in our in our love for. For the church, and that that was one of my goals again in in going through this book is to grow in my love uh, for the church of what the church is and and understand how important the church is to god it's the it's the only earthly entity that he promises that he will support and build uh it's the it's the community it's the body on earth that he he died for. And so the, the church is a, it's a very important thing to God. And I wanted in my thinking to line up my thinking with what God's thinking was on how important the church is. And so as I was thinking through this passage, it's, it, it, should, it should stand out to us how important it is to God that this is, this is what he has done, right? He... Jesus, he went to the cross to make us new for salvation. It was also for the purpose of tearing down that wall of division. It was also for the purpose of uniting us together in one new body, which is the church. And so as I, as I think through that, I think that, that for me... It's it's uh, I think it's imperative to to line up with wh- what we do with what God's purpose is, right? You see that God's purpose is that He is He is building, He is growing, uh, and He is working uh, to build the church. And we should be out of a, out of a love for God, those that are tools. In God doing that, right? And I was thinking, how how are we tools in God putting this structure together and growing this structure in 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 what He is at work work at it doing? And I think we this is possible through our our obedience, uh, possible through our submission to the Holy Spirit within us. And then I was thinking, all right, what are the specifics that we could do within this? So that we are part of God's process of of growing this this entity, this body. 
And so I looked up just a, just a few of the, the one another's because I think that is really one of the ways that we, that we see that we can be tools in working towards this goal that God has in, in building the church. And I'll just read some of those um, that I, I just have them written down here. It's uh, we are to be devoted to one another. We are to be of the same mind as one another. We are to be building one another up, uh, accepting of one another, admonishing one another, serving one another, bearing one another's burdens, showing tolerance for one another, speaking the truth in love to one another, and being kind to one another. And some of those uh, Paul deals with here in the, the book of Ephesians as we move on. So Christ, uh, he gave so much in, in establishing the church, and I think that, that, that we who are within the church um, need to, to purpose and endeavor, and as much as lies within us, uh, be working towards the same goal within the church of, of building up and establishing uh, for the glory of God. And all that is is because this is the entity, this is the body that he died to create uh, to bring both Jews and Gentiles together in one new body. So we outsiders, we Gentiles, which I think is probably all of us here, we were without all of those things. We were without Christ. We were without community. We were without the promises. We were without hope, without God, and Christ has done all that is necessary to bring us near and remove that barrier to bring us all together as one body in Christ. And I think here he's talking about the, the church universal. This is his work in the church universal, the, the, the body of all believers and and I think just my my application is for the the local church here. So let us uh, be about doing that which uh, lines up and accords with God's work in the body, uh, doing those things that He commands us to do to build uh, the unity within the church. All right, let's let's pray. Father, we thank you for your for your word of truth once again. We thank you for your amazing work on our behalf. Thank you that uh, we uh, uh, Gentiles who are far off, that you have brought near, that you have made it possible that we can have access to you. We thank you for your great work and and making the uh, the church possible, uh, removing uh, the barrier, the dividing wall, so that we could have oneness, so that we could have unity. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are so kind and, and merciful and gracious toward us. Pray that you would help us to to purpose and to um, uh, be purposeful and endeavor and, and do what we can, Lord, to, to be... Uh, 
functioning as a, as a body as you would have us, Lord, that we would uh, we would be unified, we would be loving, we would uh, be a body that is truly uh, a light to uh, those that uh, are on the outside. Lord, pray that uh, you would help us, uh, each of us, to to uh, love this this body here as as you do. That we would uh, understand it as you do. Uh, we thank you just for this this uh, body of believers that you have drawn here, that you have planted here, uh, each with uh, different gifts and different abilities and all those things, Lord. And I pray that uh, as each of us has been equipped, that we would use those in the service of one another, Lord. And I pray that uh, you would help us to uh, excel still more in those things, uh, that we would not grow weary in doing well, I pray that uh, that in all those things, Lord, that you would be glorified. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.